0: Hi, I am Sophie Vaux, and this is the Rise and Play podcast. In this new series, I am focusing on portraits of women who have an outstanding career in games. How did they get into games? How did they reach their high position in career? What have been their personal and career choices to get to the level? And why? I want to bring more light to the wide range of career paths available for women in leadership position in the industry and to inspire you to dream big for your life and career too. Let's begin. Today, I have with me Noemi Hernandez. So a little more about Noemi. Noemi has been working in international digital marketing and mobile gaming for the past 10 years. She has led performance marketing teams for startups like PlayQ and now AirConsole, but she also has experiences of bigger companies like Jam City, where she led the user acquisition strategy for the launch of a top mobile game, Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery. She started her career in 2007 in international customer service and digital marketing for an online gambling company, and little by little, climbed the ladders to marketing manager, senior manager, director, and now CMO. So, hi, Noemi, or should I say bonjour?
1: Uh, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Thank you for the intro, Sophie. Uh, I'm a very big fan of your podcast, so I'm really looking forward to the discussion.
0: Thank you very much for your feedback, and I think that's how it goes with a virtual circle. Like the more I do content, and the more uh, I'm approached, uh, you know, by many other women executives in the gaming industry, and it keeps uh, feeding the content of the podcast. So it's amazing that is happening. Thanks for that. So let's begin with where you are at and what's exciting for you in your life, career, or even personal projects. Can you tell more
1: about it? At a personal level, I find blockchain technology fascinating. And I really think that it it will revolutionize a number of industries. I, I really like the fact that it's transparent. And I think that transparency that blockchain offers is especially more nowadays, you know, with all the burning topics of risk management, user privacy, cybersecurity. I think that this transparency can really help solve some of those issues. And I mean, logically, the other thing that gets me excited is cryptocurrencies. It goes a bit together with blockchain. I really like that it's decentralized and universal. It doesn't matter if you have Bitcoin in the US or in Brazil Or in Thailand, it's still like Bitcoin. So I really like the fact that it's universal. And I really think that cryptos are the future of money.
0: Very interesting. I like that we start with that. It's a very hot topic at the moment. And as I'm discussing with a lot of peers around the blockchain, crypto, NFTs, so uh, confusion and misunderstanding about it. So I'd like to dig a bit deeper on your knowledge about it. Is it at the moment more personal use, education? Are you even investing yourself? Or is it also related to what you're doing professionally and maybe thinking of
1: developing business around it in the future? It started like very, like personally, I started training on Coinbase, Binance, etc. cetera, six years ago while I was living in LA. Wow, already? <laughs> yes. And I really like all the trading aspect. It's very similar to user acquisition and the trading that we do. So I really find it like very interesting I think very early the potential that it could have for gaming. I started investing in Engine, which is a coin based on gaming. I mean, I'm far from being an expert, so I can't really go too much in details in like the, all the technologies about it, but I really see that it's opening the door to new audiences. But we need to remind ourselves that the most important thing is the actual game that I don't think that you can make a game fun with adding NFT on it. I think Mm -hmm. you can make a fun game better or the game play more interesting with NFT. But the first thing is the game and the gameplay.
0: Yeah. I've seen this conversation also, like with all the hype of uh, crazy investment, I have to say, around (laughs) companies that have those keywords, uh, NFTs or crypto. It is, you know, like buzzwords that uh, it's just enough for people to invest. But at the heart, you need to have first uh, an audience and a community that is hanging out in a place and quite a massive community, an active community. And ultimately, it comes down to the product and the game, and I think it shouldn't be overlooked. And I understand why it's very exciting for some organization to get into the space. It's like the first Pioneer Games were opportunistic and they are good games. You know, decent start to practice around the whole crypto, but if there's really intention of making a very good game with gaming expert, and I think that's the whole challenge of it, so, and I understand as well that it's a whole ecosystem and a whole economy, like uh, almost like a mini society, country you have to manage, but it goes another level than just managing a game, and I think that's what makes it quite a. Uh, Big as a challenge going forward. Let's move forward then away a bit from the crypto and more what you're doing uh, as well today. So you are CMO at Air Console. Can you tell us more about what Air Console is and your uh, mission and you know set of responsibility as the CMO of that company?
1: So Air Console mission is to make gaming accessible to all. You just need a smartphone and a second screen to play more than 180 games. So you don't need a console and you don't need controllers. We have a lot of different games. We have casual games, racing games. So there are games for everyone. And my mission as a CMO is to manage the marketing budget and achieve maximum impact internationally. To do so, me and my team of three people, we do a lot of performance marketing, app optimization, but also competitive analysis, creative testing, product management, and brainstorms to come up with new ideas.
0: Is it a platform to host other games, or you are also
1: creating your own games? So we act as a publisher. You know, we created five games, but most of the games that we publish are not ours, and it's all local multiplayer.
0: Okay. You know, it's very competitive also in the publishing and distribution space as much as when it comes to make games. So how do you position yourself in the whole ecosystem of games and what kind of games are really a good fit for your platform?
1: So we are local multiplayer. So any game that can be played multiplayer. And then as our audience is like very, very broad and we tend to have a lot of families playing, We like casual games like RPG or things like that might not be a good fit for our audience. So casual, local multiplayer. Some of our games are board games and they do work pretty well.
0: So I am not very familiar with your space. Are there other similar platforms that are trying to do the same as you at the moment? And if so, who are they?
1: So we're quite often compared to cloud gaming platforms like BlackNut, for instance, but we're not exactly like that. First, we are one of the only ones that offers the possibility to use the smartphone as a controller. So this is really our added advantage. And we are really pushing more and more towards gaming on TV, whereas a lot of those platforms are more gaming on PC. Yeah, we don't have that many competitors in that space. And where is your main audience
0: demographically? Like,
1: What is the profile of the audience of that platform? So we have a very international audience. A third of our audience is from South America, where gaming consoles are not affordable. I mean, with all the taxes that they have, it's super expensive to have a console there. That's why a product like ours works very well over there. And we also have a good audience in Asia and Southeast Asia for, I think, similar reasons.
0: It's really interesting. So it's like if you have a mobile, you can actually play some sort of console experiences together without having a console. Exactly. So you work more focused on launching games, scaling games, you know, marketing. And what made you make the switch to marketing and growth of a platform instead of focus on one game? And particularly, why choosing Air Console when you did the move?
1: I really like Air Console mission. That's really what brought me there. So the mission of making gaming accessible to all. I really like that. I mean, in terms of marketing, it's very different because I was more focused on one title at a time, whereas now I market the experience, which is very different. So let's get into that here. For example, when you are focusing on growing
0: one game in the current space, what are the challenges you're having when it's about marketing and experience, like you say, and what type of strategies that are different you have to apply?
1: In terms of so pure product, I think that so when you have only one product, so only one game, you only have that product to really market. For instance, in terms of pure ads, we know that it's good to show actual gameplay. So if there is only one kind of gameplay, there is not that much room for innovation because the gameplay is always the same. If I take the example of a match three game, so the gameplay will always be match three. And so you have to be very creative to find like innovation around that gameplay. Whereas for the experience, there are like so many kind of different experiences, especially for multiplayer so many different setups so many different possibilities that innovation and creativity is just easier but on the other end it's more difficult to find something that works because you mm-hmm. have to test like so many things to find the things that really work as you're trying to sell here an
0: experience like playing on the couch with friends or a family more some media marketing brand marketing compared to pure performance marketing when you try to grow a
1: game and then it's much harder to track the conversion. 100% before I was more like holistic marketing, but then technically speaking, in terms of performance marketing, like when you market a specific app, yeah, you will use like all the different channels. And then it's a lot about app ranking as well. And there are a lot of tools to track all that. Whereas when you market an experience, so yes, there is branding, but then branding doesn't come with tracking. So it's very difficult to know what works and what doesn't. We also do a lot of B2B marketing. We work a lot with Android TV boxes, for instance, or OEM, for instance. That's something that I didn't do that much when I was marketing a specific app. There is more around like product marketing and branding when you do marketing for an experience.
0: And at the moment, what is your focus in terms of marketing or growth of a company and your ambition level for your company?
1: So we are strong believer on like games on TV. We want to be a TV-first company. So that's the focus of this year. We do a lot of marketing around that. So we partner with a lot of TV operators, etc. And we partner also with platforms that are available on Android TV to have more visibility there.
0: So you have worked also at PlayQ and Gem City. Well, I know at PlayQ, a big game, I think, Charm King. Were you working on
1: that game specifically? So yes, at PlayQ, I was working for Charm King I was the director of user acquisition there. So I was managing the marketing team, but also the creative team. And yeah, we were working solely for Charm King.
0: Okay, so yeah, that makes also a lot of sense for the, those companies that you were focusing on the game uh, that need, needed to grow. I understand as well that it's a smaller structure. What were the advantages of being part of a smaller structure like this after Jam City, and also part of the challenges, whether it was on a specific game like Charm King or more structural challenges in terms of UA?
1: I moved from uh, Gem City to PlayQ because I wanted to go back to smaller structures because I really like fast paced companies. And I think that smaller structures are better at that. So things get done faster. And and that also there is more communication in between departments, which is something that I think bigger corporations have more problems with because of so many different silos and layers. So So to me, that was one of the main advantages is that I got to talk a lot with the product team, but also with the engineer, with the finance team as well at PlayQ. So we had a monthly meeting with whole teams to make sure that we were all working toward the same goals. And the goals were like very clear. Yeah, the downside with smaller structure, I think it's more difficult to scale fast because you are understaffed. There are not enough people to scale exponentially. And then Poor decisions are being made because of maybe too little management, which comes with some advantages in some instances. Sometimes it's good to have a more like senior person or manager basically like taking the decision or really like filtering out what makes sense and what doesn't.
0: For your time at PlayQ, what
1: were the things that either you have achieved or put in place that you're proud of? I left the team more confident than they were before. And that's a massive win. I managed only women. So we were seven in the team. And when I started in the team, there were three introverts. So people who would never dare like speaking up during meetings. So they were like very, very shy, but extremely smart. And I think that they were not properly managed. So no one really told them that they were great at what they were doing and that they had the potential to be more. And so I think that with my management style, which is like very personal, I spend a lot of time with each team member in a one-on-one setting to try to understand them, to try to understand what they are good at, what they should work on. Really like so, the potential of those team members growing. I'm really proud of that because I feel that's one of the, most important job of a manager is to see the potential and to really push them up.
0: I think here you are raising a point that is very important when it comes to leading teams and also in a leading position, about elevating your team could you also share a bit more about your philosophy on organizing ua marketing teams because you said you were on one side like more on the growth ua but on the other side like creatives which are
1: also different type of teams so how did you approach it so the good thing is that as i was managing both teams we got to have weekly meetings all together So they were communicating a lot between each other. And I really tried to make sure that everyone was heard, that everyone had their say. And I think that this really created a healthy environment to innovate, to be heard, and also to discuss new ideas. It helps to have a common boss for departments that you know will get to work a lot together. I've been also in companies where the head of product was also the head of marketing. So it was a lot for that person, but I think it's really helped having that common goal, basically one leader who would really like show you the way. I like to have once or maybe twice a week meetings with the whole team. We had like creative brainstorms at PlayQ on Tuesday with the whole team, with the UA team as well. Mm -hmm. So the UA team will get to... Maybe like present some stats around like creative experiments that we did so that the creative team will understand what works and what doesn't. And then the creative team will start brainstorming with us about new ideas, joining the forces of the two, like of creativity and data together. And this worked well. It took Maybe a month to find the right setup. But yeah, I think that we found a good recipient. For what I know, they still do that every Tuesday with the same setting.
0: The things you have built are not going away after you leave, right? That's kind of the ultimate goal. Yeah. Of course, it's never possible that you are not needed anymore. But at least the main foundation that you have built are staying without you even after your departure. Going then as a contrast into your experience in very big organization like Jam City and the Harry Potter game you were working on, Hogwarts Mystery, was a pretty big game. I think it's still doing quite well as well now. I'm curious of what was your part and role in the
1: launch of the game. I believe there's a pretty big UA and launch team behind that. So I started at Jam City in 2015 as a country manager of France. And Jump City was known as SGN, Social Gaming Network.
0: Oh, right.
1: Uh, I remember now, yeah. <laughs> and we were only around like 200 people. And back then, they were like pretty good, despite their decent size, making each department communicate a lot with each other. And the head of product was the same as the head of marketing, you know, as I was mentioning earlier. Yeah, so we were like communicating a lot, and we all had a common goal with that same boss. Then Time City started growing exponentially. They started like buying a lot of game studios and the country manager department kind of stopped because we needed to have more people focusing solely on UA. So that's when we started working on Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery and I was leading the UA strategy for that title. So I was working a lot with the product team, even though there were like a lot of different layers like head of product, VP of product, SVP of product, (laughs) etc. So many different layers, but I still got a good communication flow with the product team so that we could prepare soft launch together so that I really understand what the game economy behind it so that I could build the UA around that. And I was also working a lot with the creative team, which was like extremely important because it's such a big IP that we had to go through many different layers of approval from the IP owners. And we felt that it was just, I mean, it's such a big IP that we really needed to do like something amazing because it's just, I mean, Harry Potter is amazing. It's known worldwide. So, yeah, so it was really like, I think, a good creative energy. And we felt the need of doing something great with that great IP. So yes, we did the soft launch that went uh, that went well, that we achieved the benchmarks that we set ourselves. And then we launched, it was in April, 2018. And yeah, I mean, I remember it was crazy. <laughs> it was just crazy. We got like millions and millions of downloads. We got better results than what we expected at the beginning because we never saw anything like that before. And it was also the first Harry Potter game ever launched and it was the first time that we were working with such a big IP that I think by then, yeah, I didn't see the power of that IP before we launched. Like, I knew it was a massive IP, but I think the launch really helped me realize the impact of it worldwide. And looking back, because it was 2018 and we are four years fast forward, and I would
0: say it's really tough to launch games with different challenges. So what went well back then with this launch from your understanding of the current market? What would be a challenge today, although it went well back in those days to launch this game?
1: I think that what went well was the will to innovate, we did a snapshot lens. I think it was the first interactive snapshot lens. Mm-hmm. So users could become a character of a Harry Potter and do spells on the actual filter. And everyone was like very keen to do something special and innovative. Mm-hmm. Also like creating the buzz organically, but also creating the buzz within the team because we were like very pumped to do something creative and innovative. So when I launch a game today, I like to find a way to like pump the team maybe with something a bit different so that they are all very excited about it. Then another lesson is that you shouldn't launch unless you have the creatives. Back then, we probably like didn't have enough creatives. I think that we didn't expect that it would grow so much so fast. I would make sure that we would have at least two or three times more creatives than what we had. So uh, for our audience to understand
0: how vital it is with the creatives, creatives that are working well have a
1: limited lifetime? Yes, I mean, 100%. You have to take that in consideration with big IPs. So like Harry Potter, you also need to take in consideration that the approval takes always way longer than you think. Maybe you will think that, oh, so that new ad will be done in, I don't know, like three weeks. It might actually take six weeks. So you have also to take that in consideration.
0: That's a wild world with uh, <laughs> the launches. But it's uh, interesting for sure with an IP and key takeaway take here, and I think it's still very valid today it's about innovating on your approach on how to market your product in general and leveraging the creativity in your team are constantly challenging to come up with something new to try that's part of the main challenges we have at the moment with games you have like very impressive career as well working in different sizes of company pretty high level role managing teams managing launches and now new challenges with air console What have been your personal tools for you in how you organize uh, your focus priorities and
1: even your leadership mindsets? I mean, I don't think that I have like a magic recipe experience also help as well. So what I try at a personal level is always to try new things. Every other year, I try something like totally different. It could be, I don't know, like trying fencing. It could be trying a new language, something new. That really helped me step back and think differently and have a different perspective. Basically create a mindset that is very adaptable and ready for novelty and innovation, which is what I strongly believe in. I think that we need to innovate and to be open-minded. So I work on that by trying new things. I try to spend a lot of time also with each team member to really understand what they want, what they need from me how I can help them so that I can help them becoming better at what they do and achieve what they want to do. And I think this takes time. It took me maybe quite some time to realize that the first skill a manager needs to have is to be a listener. So that's part of my toolkit. Mm-hmm. Time management, I think, is key as well. So I do block time in my calendar. I know that I can't focus for, I think, more than one hour at a time in like really deep work. So I will block times of one hour when I know that, okay, so I will do deep work and then I need a break and then maybe I can do some more deep work afterwards. But I block free times as well to make sure that I have time where I'm not disturbed and I block time for my team members as well. So I want to make sure that I spend at least one hour a week now at Air Console with each of my direct reports to just like discuss everything that they want to talk to me about.
0: Thank you. Very good tools. And I do, uh, have to say, use some of them. So making a space, I think we call that white space, where it's time to think, <laughs> time to not do, but think, take a step back is very important type, but you have to make it with intention and plan for it because otherwise it never happens because people will always find a way to get some time from you. There's nothing wrong, but it requires some focus. So that's a very good reminder. And I take away as well, priority on developing people being there to steer or clarify for everyone to have clear goals alignment or any blockers to make this as a priority as well as a leader last reflection point from me as well given your long career one thing reflecting on your early 20s that you would have wished to tell yourself with what you know today what would it be
1: yeah, I think I will tell myself to not be afraid to ask questions without being afraid of sounding dumb, mm-hmm. to ask for a pay raise, to ask for a promotion. Don't be afraid to ask because that's how you get things. If you don't ask, you don't get anything.
0: Plus one on that one. And that's one I repeat so often with some team members, But we imagine quite a lot of things that we don't grant ourselves. But it's a good reminder that, well, the worst thing that can happen, except the embarrassment that we imagine is getting a no, but the upside is much bigger if you get a yes, right? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's always you look at what's the downside and can you handle it? And more of the upside is when it's much bigger, then you should just do it and try. So it's a good reminder. I reached the end also of our discussion today and I will end it with three rapid fire questions. So are you ready for this? <laughs> I think so. So my first question, what is the thing you dream about
1: for your future, you know, vision on life? Wow! Well, <laughs> getting time in Pacific Islands. I'm a big fan of Pacific Islands. I got the opportunity to travel there quite often when I was living in Australia, and I would like to go back there for a bit longer for quite some time.
0: <laughs> nice. I'm sure with any way of remote work setting, probably something is possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And uh, my second question, what is the thing you fear the most of these
1: days? Global warming. I find it very sad. I think that the last report said that we only have like what like 3 years to change things before it's really start getting worse. I know that some tools do exist, so there are some solutions, but I feel that we are not ready to let go our comfortable lives Hmm. so i'm not sure what will happen with that
0: yeah unfortunately that's one of the big uh, challenges at the moment among many other things and my last question what is your personal
1: motto in life work hard and be kind work hard because no one's gonna do the work for you and it does pay off and be kind because i mean it makes the world a better place
0: (laughs) i love it Well, thanks a lot, Noemi, today for the conversation, learning, talking about blockchain, UA, and many other tools as well of self-management. I really appreciated your conversation. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Sophie. Take care. Thanks for listening to this new episode of Rise and Play podcast. If you enjoyed the content and want to support what we're doing, rate and review the podcast, spread the word about it. If you'd like to contribute to the change too, reach out to me on LinkedIn for a collaboration. You'll find all the rest of the content on riseandplay.io, including my free masterclass on conscious leadership, how to hire a team with a vision, or how to lead and build a team for the long-term game. Until the next time,